Okay, ready? Take what you know, and it's about a time when you get yourself in a wheel. I want to know something she's on. I'll think about everyone you need. I'll hold in it. Things are real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. The to a ratio. Okay, though. The Toretto. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. You're a phenomenal person. I mean, legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. I'm going all out of my element, throwing things, trying, trying to figure out where the hell I went wrong. Like, that's exactly the tone that I sung it in. So she just went in there and said, I said, and I was saying to her on the phone, because she left with it. I said, yo, make sure you do that part like you. And she was like, no, I like the way it sounds like this. I'm going to do it like you. And I and I was nervous as fuck because I'm like, man, don't let this be the song, part of the song that people don't like. Because <laughs> I was tired. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I didn't know how it was going really gel with what was happening. Because it was like... It was a scratch vocaling, so it's a bunch of vocals all over the place when you're doing this. Jermaine Dupree is one of the most interesting and important record producers of the last couple of decades. His music is extraordinary. He blew up crisscross. He helped Usher become a superstar. He made Mariah Carey's greatest album, The Emancipation of Bibi. He worked with Janet Jackson. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, his thoughts around music, his production style, and what he's doing now. It's the legend, Jermaine Dupree, on Torre Show. I want to talk about music, but I want to go back to the beginning. Like, when you look back now on your childhood, what are some of the early musical experiences that you think you had that, you know, like led you to become the person you are as a producer and a musician and everything? It's funny. I was just talking to B Cox about this other night. I started singing this Al Jarreau record in the studio. And I was like having a conversation with another young artist. And I was asking her, the girl if she knew Sade and it was a younger artist of today that didn't know who Sade was and I was mm. and we started having this conversation about how these younger artists are not educated in music the way that we were brought up and I started singing this Al Jarreau record and it was like why are you singing Al Jarreau and I'm like you know what I don't actually even know why I'm why do I even know this song right but then I started thinking about it I actually went to an Al Jarreau concert mm. so when you talk about Things that I guess molded me. I've I've seen things musically that people walking this earth today have never seen, um, and that that's part of. It. I've seen you know I went to Prince's first concert here in Atlanta. I went to mm. uh, my you know, I grew up with my my father was a roadie, so he you know he worked for like Brick and SOS Band and uh, Peebo Bryson and these guys. So I used to go to their rehearsals and be around them, but. Concerts, I, you know, I went, I actually am a person who saw George, George uh, Clinton wow. in Parliament. 
And wow. I seen the actual mothership. I went to one of those concerts. So wow. I've been, you know, I was exposed to the real shit, if I can say that. Of course, of course. So wait, was were you in the house as a kid, like thinking about being a recorders, recording artist, like listening to music, listening to your fa- your parents' old stuff? Like, was that you? No. Uh, I mean, I you know, since since I was three, my dad used to play drums. He he was an aspiring artist that wanted to have a group, so he had a band. And in the band, my dad played the drums. And um, when I was born, like I said, three at like three years old, my dad started me playing drums, trying to basically wow. mimic him. And I started learning how to play drums at three. And I think that that part of my life just became a full circle. Like I started playing drums at three, so I should know how to make beats. I should know how to, uh, I was, I was taught in some kind of way. And back then when I was three and four years, five years old, I used to listen to the radio and just try to play every beat that I heard and play the drums at the same time. So I kind of like, I was put in it, but at the same time I taught myself the, the road to where I ended up going. Wait, how did you teach yourself? You taught yourself how to produce. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. H- how did you do that? Um, just taking, watching people and knowledge. And then then the frustration of not, the frustration of me telling somebody what I wanted to do and watching them not do what I'm asking them, right? So when this first happened, I talked to my partner, Chad Elliott, all the time about this, that if, if when I came off the Fresh Fest and I started producing, if the people that I was telling what I wanted to do would have done what I was doing, I would have been a, a more bigger person than I actually am now. Cause people would have, people would have held me as the creator of a lot of things that has happened like because what? I was trying to do these things. I was, I was trying to do these things when I was 15. Like, like what should you have credit for that you don't get credit for? Uh, well, I'm not not now because people started doing it. But I'm saying prior to this, I was one of the first people that was going into studios and telling older people, hey, sample this record. Mm-hmm. And they was telling me, hey, you can't sample people's music. You can't take their music. The music industry don't work like that. Right. I heard I was the person that heard all of this. So if that's the case, when people was telling me that, that means that sampling was at was, you know, Early. was not even a thing. Right. And the thing that was being sampled at the time was voices. They were sampling James Brown, like hit me and all these little voices. But they weren't taking like the entire track and putting a whole nother song on top of it. I wanted to do that when I was 15. So you were already on that. So wait, when you're in when you're in the studio, are you some producers are knob turners who can like sit at the at the engineering board at the board and like turn it. Some people are like just sort of explaining to somebody else like this is what I like. Are you a knob turner or are you more of like an explainer? Yeah, I'm a hands on producer. I'm playing keys. I'm making the beat. I'm writing the songs. I'm doing everything. How many instruments can you play? Um, <laughs> I can't really play a bunch of instruments. I can play keyboards. And I, you know, and I program my, all my beats. Um, but if I, you know, I'm sure that if I wanted to play the same way I learned how to play keyboards, if I wanted to play, I could play. It's just, it's, it, it, it comes from a, as I've gotten to be a, the better producer that I have become, I, I started 
Um, Quincy Jones is my idol. So I started doing what I saw my idol do. And Quincy never played these parts. He he went and got the best of the best. So I just started emulating what I saw the best producers in the world do. I mean, you have a real sound that is unique, um, that is really special, that is it is broad enough that you can you can shift it, you know, for any artist, be it Jay-Z, Usher, whoever, Mariah, whatever. Um, but then it's like we know we know it's you. Right. Well, first of all, I want to talk about some of your records that are my favorite records of all time. But what is the Jermaine Dupri sound? I mean, oddly enough, it's interesting that you say we know is you because I don't think people do. I think people it's some records that I use and it's some things that I do on my records where you can if you listen to Jermaine Dupri music, you can say, OK, that sounds like a Jermaine Dupri record. But a lot of the records that I, you know that I noticed that I put out, people don't even be like, they don't actually respond to it like, oh, you did this. And then it's like, once they find out, they're like, oh, no wonder I like the song. Then they saying stuff like that, right? But it's like, initially, people don't be, and then if they don't hear me say, y'all know what this is at the top, they definitely don't know it's me. (laughs) Well, there's something, I was listening to a lot of your stuff yesterday. You you have a way with your R&B of putting in more beat and rhythm than a lot of R&B does. So it becomes very danceable and yet smooth, which is sort of, it, it, it seems similar to what Puff and, and Mary J. Blige were doing that, that made them so huge at that moment. Do you think that's accurate? Mm-hmm. Like what I'm talking about, like your, your R&B has more bop and beat to it, which gives it some funk. So you can take it to a hip hop situation and, Hip hop heads are like, yeah, I'm fucking with that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a hip hopper first. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a rapper. I make rap music first. I'm I'm you know, Crisscross is my first group that y'all know me. I'm, I make rap records, but I I I I saw the likings of meshing both worlds and um the meshing of both worlds. I'm actually good at figuring out how that's supposed to be. You know mesh together um i didn't notice at that first but i you know people people like it and, and so all i did was just start watching if you like what i did here then i'll do it again but i'll try to figure out another way to make it not sound so much like the record i just did so you know um but yeah i think that's the undertone the undertone is definitely hip-hop in every one of my records yeah i think when we were coming up 80s music especially it was either hip-hop or R&B, and there wasn't really a lot of meshing. And when you get a little further yeah. down the line, partly from what Teddy uh, Riley did, partly what Puff and them did, partly what you did, um, you started to see, like, there's a blend. It's not just one or the other. There's a big sort of middle ground where it's like, is it hip-hop, R&B? It's a little of both. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Because like I said, you're getting, you're getting a record written for Usher that's written by a rapper. Yeah. You know what I mean? I you know it's like you're actually getting a song that's a singing song that you can sing along to that's written by somebody who writes raps on a day-to-day basis as opposed to singing. Um so the 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 heartbeat of these records are 100% hip hop. Let's talk about some And of these. they actually are not yeah. in, in 
the old clubs, they supposed to be in the hip hop clubs. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about some of your biggest records and talk about just some of your thought process behind what you were trying to do with these records. Um, you Make Me Wanna, Usher, was just such a monster hit. And it's so, it's so like dancey and it's still, if still fresh, you could drop it today and it would still like blow up and people would love it. What were you trying to do with that song? Um, I mean, that being the first male artist that I actually, solo male artist that I actually produced, I didn't actually know what I was doing. <laughs> I just was trying to make a record. That, you know, ultimately, I make music that I like. I make music that I'm a ride to. I make music that I feel like that that I'm confident enough to play for my friends. And I'm confident enough to pay, play for my peers. I think that's the biggest... Um, misconception in making music period is you have to make music that you are confident enough to play in the spaces that you actually exist in this in the spaces you actually go so um i was scared of r&b to be something that i wouldn't play for crisscross or play for my homies or brat or whoever was before i worked with usher so when i worked with him i, I didn't want it to be something that i'd be like you know i did the usher record but 
I'd be talking about all this other stuff and you don't ever, I can't ever really like talk about it because it's, it's off to the side and it's a music that, you know, if you're into that, then you can go over there. I don't make that into it type of music. I make music that it exists in my world. Yeah. That's the only way it's going to work. It's got to, you, I mean, that that's a great sort of notion as an artist. I have to like it. Like you think about if I wasn't here in the studio and this record came on, would I like it? And like, if you don't like it, why are you putting it out as an artist? Now I say that to everybody, you know, like when we, when we pick singles or I see people pick singles right now, my first question to the person or whoever it is, I'm like, who's going to play this? Where are y'all going to play this at? Because, you know, that's one of the biggest conversations in my label uh, and in and, and, and any label that I go to when I hear them talking about this, is our first single, <clears throat> my first question is where are you going to get this played at? And nine times out of 10, if they can't answer that question, that's not the first single because that's the hardest part of the whole, you know, 100% of the percentage that you're trying to get. If you can't figure out or you don't have the confidence to take this to your people, your local DJ or whatever it is, and you feel like it might not work in this area, then it might not work at all. <laughs> when you think, when you're saying, where are you going to take it? Are you saying... Is it a club record? Is it a car record? Is it a dance, slow dance record? Like, like, is it a radio record? Is it an urban record? Is it a anything, any, anything, any, any, I'm looking for any answer when I ask people this, right? Any answer, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for this, um, you know, and I think I learned that probably, I didn't learn that actually from Mariah, but I think I got more of that working with her because Mariah is from New York and this is what people don't understand. New York, People listen in New York to Hot 97 all day. Nas, it's uh, Power 109, 105 or whatever it is. Sure. People in New York actually listen to the radio, right? If you listen to the radio and you hear Mary J. Blige, Biggie, and this, that, and the third, and these people all day, and you're making records, and you make a record, and you're a superstar, and you can, to make, you can make whatever you want to make, but you make a record that don't sound like it's supposed to be in that space. And you can't take the record to Funk Master Flex. Um, you are probably making a mistake. Mm. But you're saying in Atlanta, it's more of a car culture and less of a radio culture, as opposed to New York, fewer of us have cars. Yeah, I mean, I have many options for myself. It's the strip club culture. It's the car culture. It's it's a bunch of things, you know. I, like I said, I use all of these. Like where, you know, I give a person the opportunity to tell them, tell me if they know that they can put this record in Greg Street will play this tomorrow, then cool. Then we should be comfortable. You think you got a, a record that can go to Magic City tonight? Yes, let's go to Magic City tonight and see if it works. You know, um, these are things that I feel like people leave out of like making records and they just believe, like especially now that you got the internet, people just making records for, for Spotify. Spotify is not a judge. They don't tell, they don't, they don't judge your music. They just post it. I've heard this a long time. I'm glad you brought up Magic City, especially in the South. Strip clubs are a fantastic place to break records. And that's, that's part of your understanding and part of your philosophy, right? All day. <laughs> <laughs> Why is a strip club a great place to break a record? Um, because the attention level is at, the, at, at where attention needs to be when music is played. You know, um, when when in sexual experiences 
music is always added to a sexual moment, whether it be a movie, whether it be a TV show, whether it be just the mindset. Um, Teddy Pendergrass was making music to make love to. It wasn't about, and it's not um, and it ain't being nasty. It's just a, a moment in space that that was carved out before I was born and probably before you was born that people True. people started making love to music and it became a thing, right? And height of the lovemaking, in the height of the lovemaking, one thing you do pay attention to why you're doing that is the music that's playing. The music that's playing, I guarantee anybody's having sex. If they're having sex, um, Usher, uh, I don't know, anything, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a slow record. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jay-Z, come on, why are you having sex? It's going to break the whole monotony. The whole tone of the room is going to change. <laughs> You're going to think the candle went out and everything. And it's nothing wrong with Jay-Z. It's just not that, it's not that space, right? It's just that's what happens. So if you take that and you go to a nightclub, which is the strip club, the girls are dancing. You're paying attention to that. Um, you're ordering food, and you're not actually physically doing anything, but using your eyes and your ears at the highest moment of life. You're looking and you're listening. You're looking and you're listening, and that's it. So, if a record comes and you see the girl that you like that you like dancing extra hard to the song. Nine times out of ten, you're gonna ask her what it is. Right. What okay. is this song? Why you like? so much. All right. I want to hear the story of making two of my favorite records of yours of all time, two of my favorite records period of the last 30 years. And you could ask my wife at the end of many of our parties at our house, it's me and her best friends screaming. We belong together at the top of our lungs going nuts. Cause I love that record to death and shake it off is also an incredible yeah. record. So talk to me about making We Belong Together, which, you know, as I told you before, I was I, I had respect for Mariah, one of the great singers of our time. But before Emancipation of Mimi, I was not a Mariah fan. And when that came mm -hmm. out, I was like, yo, I love this chick, right? And, and you changed her a little bit. So I want to get into that. But talk to me about making We Belong Together and why that was so magical. Well, We Belong Together is interesting because it was a... Um it was me trying to recreate what I had already done with Always Be My Baby. I, you know, um, L.A. thought LA Be My Baby was one of the Mariah Carey records that he ever heard, and that's one of his favorites. And he was just like, Jermaine, you know, I've never heard make another song better than Always Be My Baby. And I'm like, you know, L.A. tries to push me to make better, the best records I could possibly make. So he's saying that at the same time, like, you do realize I just gave you confessions, right? But you, that's what you, I'm going to let you get away with that statement. But OK, cool. So he says this and I'm just like, you know, what can draw my mind? What can what what where can I go? You know, and then I think about it. And I'm saying, you know what? I didn't make another record that sounds like always be my baby. We didn't even try to go into that bag because I feel like. Mariah's bag is Mariah's bag. Um, and um, so he said, do you think you can create another song that's like, that's better than always be my baby? And I'm, you know, I'm like, no, I don't think so. Because um, I don't. But I, I, you know, that was my attempt. So my attempt was to outdo always be my baby. 
What, I mean, like sonically, what was your goal? Cause you, you, you laid out, you make the track and then she comes in and sings what you've written for her. Right. So before she, she gets no, there. Well, we, we wrote, what's crazy is we wrote always, we all, we were, we belong together in two, three, four, five, six, seven. I would say six hours, six wow. to seven hours. That's written together. Mariah came to Atlanta. She was actually supposed to start at 12. I don't think she got to the studio till about 1 32 o'clock. So that's what I'm saying. So about two o'clock. Um, and from two o'clock, we worked till she got back playing. And she had to leave at like seven. I, I remember everybody in the studio falling out. And even her, she was tired. And, um, we had written the whole song, and it was only this one last part of the song that had a, a that the part, right? That didn't have no lyrics or nothing, right? And I and I told her I was so tired. I said, you know what, Mariah, just go home. I mean, let's go to sleep and wake up. I'll I'll write the part and send it to you. She was like, no, I'm not leaving here without the song being done, right? Uh-huh. So everybody was sleep. Jante, Cristal, uh, Emmanuel. <laughs> Just me and Mariah was up, and I was listening to the song, listening to the lyrics, and that's when I said it's going all out of my element, doing things, trying, trying to figure out where the hell I went. That that last part of that line, which sounds like a river, that's the only parts of the song you listen to. You say you know it. If you listen to the song, that's the only parts of the song that sound like rap. Uh-huh. That's all me, and that's that was the last piece of that song because it was a hole there. Right. So that's that, you know, and like I said, we wrote that song in, in six, six to seven hours. One of the moments like all on the wheels of midnight. One of the moments in that song that I really love is when um, she hears Bobby Womack on the radio and it's too it's too emotional. And in the world of songs, music rarely intrudes. Right. Like everybody who makes songs loves music. But, you know, like you rarely have like a, another song intrude in the story of a song. And that's so real that like she's emotionally vulnerable and she hears Bobby Womack about and like, I can't, <laughs> it's hitting me too much. I can't listen to it. And I'm like, I've had that moment. I know what that moment is. I love, and I love that it's included in the story of the song. Yeah. I mean, that was a conversation piece because we all, we sat here wondering if the youngsters knew the Bobby Womack reference, they even knew what that was going to be like. Um, it's funny because I have a lot of that in my body. Like we started off this conversation where I talk about Al Jarreau, right? And mm-hmm. there's another song that we did, Shake It Off, that you named. In Shake It Off, uh, I was the one that told her to say, Cal, gone, take me away. Mm. She didn't even know what I was talking about when really? I said that. Really? And a lot of people still don't know what that is. You know, you know, I know what that is. We grew up, we were about the same age. I know, like, so Calgon, yeah. take me away. Like, hell yeah. I was trying to explain it to her. Like, Calgon, is, <laughs> who doesn't, I thought I was, I thought, I was like, who don't know what Calgon is? Like, y'all don't know what Calgon, take me away is? And people, you know, younger people in the studio, they was like, no, what the no. hell is that? And I don't, <laughs> still to this day, I don't think people know what it is. They just sing it on the song. You got to go find it. So now, yeah, We Belong Together is a ballad with a little extra bop to it. Shake It Off is a total bop groove 
where she's just like plowing through the rhythm and you could just dance to that. But it, it, there's a, there's a, there's a nice, almost ladylikeness to it where the chicks is like, yes, like I'm in my groove, but as a dude, I can still like rock to it. Like, I love that record so much. Talk about what you were trying to do with that one. Which one? Shake it off. Yeah. So shake it off. Like I said, shake it off was coming off of confessions and I was just trying to, you know, when I get these big records, it's crazy because sometimes I only write one, right? I only make one song and then it goes to be like these big songs. And I look back at it and I'm like, you know what? We don't, Why didn't we create at least something else that sounds like this? Like, you know, my idol, Teddy Riley, he made a bunch of records that sounded like the same song a hundred <laughs> times. Once he got hit, it was same, same thing that if you liked it, the way it was, you're going to like this song for the same reasons, right? I always was against that, making music. I was coming up and I I always wanted to differentiate what I would give somebody else. So if you think about it, confessions don't sound like Shake It Off. And We Belong Together doesn't sound like anything on the Confessions album. Sure. Right? It, I tried to musically not make them sound... I mean, you can feel it from the bounce and you know what it is, but Musically and lyrically, these are two separate different artists. And I try my damnedest to do that when I'm working with artists that have that much of a footprint on this music but world. That we live. You also have executive in you. You have A&R in you. So I feel like you understand innately Usher is this kind of artist so he needs this kind of record. Mariah is this kind of artist. She needs that kind of record. And you might pull them a little bit out of their lane, but still like expanding their lane. So it's not just yeah. Jermaine made a beat and let's see who, who buys it. But it's like, imagine you sitting down with Usher or vibing Usher and be like, this is what he needs. This is what she needs. Yeah. I mean, it's all tailor made for each one of the people that come here. You know what I mean? It's all tailor made for them. Um, I, I feel like, well, you know, like with Mariah, Mariah is so much more hip hop than people actually know. Mm -hmm. So that she actually be wanting me to do for her <laughs> is so far left that I have to wheel it in sometimes because I know people won't understand it from her because she wants to go so hard and she wants to go so hardcore. So on We Belong Together, as beautiful as the song sounds, I still had to make sure that the 808s was hitting like it was a rap record. And when it come on, it feel like you listening to the latest rap record that was out at that particular point in time. So. Sure. Musically, I'm just trying to, I just try to find a balance between, like I said, once again, it's back to what I like, because I can't put out a record I don't like. I wonder what you're telling Mariah as an approach to these records, because like I said, I was not a Mariah fan before Emancipation. She was lots of runs, lots of big vocal things, very girly butterflies and multi, multi platinum superstar, right? One of the great voices of her generation, but it wasn't hitting me. I'm a hip hop guy. With, yeah. with Emancipation, yeah. her whole singing thing is calmed down, right? It's much more emotionally direct, right? It's less of the runs and the mellifluous and all this sort of stuff. It's more direct. It's almost, it's almost like rapping, but I'm clearly a singer, but I'm a little more rappy with it. Is that something you talk to her about? Like, let's, let's do it in this way. Let's sing it in this way. Now, she's the smartest when it comes to that. You know, like I said, I it, I don't write a lot for Mariah. I write music for her, and I come up with ideas. 
Um, you know, but lyrically, she writes most of how she wants to say and what she wants to say. Um, <clears throat> we go back and forth on parts, but, um, you know, for the most part, she knows what she wants to do. And a lot of times her guide is whatever I've done prior to she to her coming in the studio. So with Always Be My Baby, she talked to me and she said, you know that Escape song, Just Kicking It? What made you make that song? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I wish I had that song. And I'm like, you wish you had the Escape record. And she's like, yeah, give me something like that. So then I'm just like, at that point, my mind is... Let me give Mariah Carey something that sounds like Escape, but it can't be completely just kicking it because her audience... And, and that was my first time working with her, so I didn't go completely as hard as I should have. So, like I said, going from, I think, Confession to Emancipation to Mimi, um, she had heard Confession. She heard all of this. So she came to the studio referencing... Uh, confessions or referencing whatever she heard prior. So if you give me that reference or whatever it is, I'm going to I'm gonna put you in that space. Now, you can tell me you don't like it or not, or Jermaine, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but I can take you back to that space because I pay very much close attention to the ingredients of making music like like baking a cake. Mm-hmm. We'll see, what, what are... I mean, if we were going to make a cake, now you, you got me, if we were going to make cake, we'd be like, yo, we need eggs and sugar and milk and blah, 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 blah. So what are the ingredients that you're talking about? You need an amazing hook, right? That's, 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 that's probably would be the eggs, I guess, of this. I'm vegan, so I don't eat eggs, so I don't know. Um, but um, I'm guessing it would be the eggs or the milk, and um, you, need, you, need, you need a great beat, whether it be slow or up-tempo, um, you need a musical track to me that can pull the vocals off and people can hear the song without the vocals and know exactly what the song is. Um, so so these are things that, and it, and it has to be in a certain key. Mariah's ingredient is that the song has to be, I think, 321 in time. It can't be longer than three minutes. Um, like, these are things that we actually talk about in the room where it's like, this song can't be longer than three minutes. We got to get everything we got to get in right in these three minutes. Let's get it in and get it out. Why does it, why, why does it have to be three? That's her thing. I don't know. Okay. That's just her, where it wants to be, right? Um, and then with Mariah, I kept saying, you know what, Mariah? It's been a minute since people have heard you hit the high note. So one of the things that I did tell her when we was in there, I said, I don't care what you write but you have to end the song with the high note. And um, she acted like she wasn't paying no attention to what I'm saying. It's very interesting because it's very, I'm, I'm sure you saw the Whitney Houston movie. It's very reminiscent of the way Whitney felt when people started telling her she wasn't making black records, right? Mm. And you know that you can actually sing. These people, they, they both know that they can sing their asses off. But then you don't, you know, Whitney didn't have a Jermaine Dupree in her corner, um, not to take anything from Clyde, but just um, to, to mesh both of those worlds. You know, what her and Clyde was doing was to take it to the highest point, the highest peak, which she did. But at the same time, it frustrated her that that black radio stations was acting like Whitney Houston wasn't this black, amazing artist. Right. So 
Mariah's the same way. Like you saying, I'm thinking that she's heard you say she was you wasn't a big fan of her, and she said this to me, right? These things affect these artists, right? And they and they and they come to the studio with this in their mind, like, you know, I'm the biggest artist in the world, and this guy don't even fuck with me. Like, I gotta figure out. I got to figure out why. I got to figure out how. I got to figure out a way. I mean, I can't I can't imagine that, you know, someone like that, multi-platinum, millions of dollars, tons of fans, and one guy is like, yeah. I mean, not just wait, not just you. I mean, it's multiple people that have said that, right? It's not just you, but I'm saying you are the standout. You know what I mean? You are a standout. <laughs> you and I had this conversation before. You, at a point in time, when you would say something, people was like, what? Oh, oh, oh. And it really, really ruffled some feathers. So I'm saying, you know, um, just know, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, she, like I said, she's from New York. So she knows what's happening in the city. And um, and and she's really a New Yorker. So she's more hip hop than she is a singer. She yeah. just knows how to sing better than she could ever rap. So you started to allude to this a little bit, but I want to dive into it be- deeper. Are you coaching vocals? Because you're talking about, we're talking about Mariah, one of the great singers of her generation. Usher, one of the great voices of his generation. Um, You know, we're going to talk about Jay-Z in a minute. We're going to talk about Janet Jackson in a minute. These are some of the great entertainers and vocalists of their generation. Are you coaching them when they're in the booth? Are you like, you're a genius, do your thing, and I'll figure out the rest of it over here? Well, well, Usher, I'm... I write ninety percent of the Usher songs, right? So, 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 w- when I write the songs, I demo the songs for Usher. So, basically, Usher's imitating me and then putting himself into what what y'all know as him. Cause I can't sing as good as Usher, so he just takes my little scratch and balloons it. It makes it sound like what it's supposed to sound like. Um, with Mariah, like I said. That part of the song, if you could ever hear the demo of the song, where we belong together, yes, she made me go in the studio and do the exact same thing. I went in the booth and sung that part. So, (coughs) um, and she liked it so much that she even tried to say it like me. So that's when you say, it sounds like she was toned down. That's where I'm at. I'm going all out of my element, throwing things, trying, trying to figure out where the hell I went wrong. Like, that's exactly the tone that I sung it in. So she just went in there and said, I said, and I was saying to her on the phone, because she left with it. I said, yo, make sure you do that part like you. And she was like, no, I like the way it sounds like this. I'm going to do it like you. And I, and I was nervous as fuck because I'm like, man. Don't let this be the song, part of the song that people don't like. Cause <laughs> I was tired. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I didn't know how it was going really gel with what was happening. Cause it was like it was a we're, we're scratch vocaling, so it's a bunch of vocals all over the place when you're doing this. The rappiness of that part of the song you're talking about, where the words that she's doing are so dense and she's so rhythmic and not really singing, it gives this extra force as you go into the chorus, right? So when you release and get into the chorus, you're really like, oh, like, wow. Like, you know, like it, it's it's a bigger chorus because of the density leading up to the chorus. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, and by the way, like I said, that's uh, that was her 
basically saying, Jermaine, do it. And I mean, I write like that. So I mean, I, I, that's just how I write. And and I do understand that part of the, that that's another ingredient that you just talked about. The density of going into the hook to make the, to make the hook a bigger thing. Um, that's part of my writing, you know, running process. So, okay. You had been known for blowing up artists. You found crisscross, you found, uh, Escape, you found a brat, you found others and made them into something, right? Mariah is mid-career, right? Things are a little whatever, but like she's still like a current artist, right? When you start working with Janet Jackson, the career has had had been happening, right? She's or like sort of coming down on the other side. Nobody lasts forever, right? In this. It's a young person's game. No shade. I love Janet to this day. But like just as a career arc, she's she's coming down and now it's like, you know, you guys are dating, but I care about the music. Right. So like you're saying, OK, how do I get her back to something? So what is the thinking around what am I going to do for Janet and to get her back to like what she had been? Back to what I said, if I make a Janet Jackson record, I got it's got to be something I like. And the confidence of it, because what I realized about Janet's music was that what I could do with Mariah and what I could do with Usher, I couldn't do with Janet. Even being her boyfriend, if she gave me a new song, I didn't feel confident taking her song into Magic City. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? As a, as a boyfriend, right? So I have to feel confident about your music. So that confidence level, I had to find. I had to find... I had to find a record that was make me feel confident and a rollout that would make me feel confident enough to bring all of my street elements and everything that I brought to the table into the play. Um, and, you know, like I said, a lot of that was the same as, like you saying about Mariah. It was a lot of people that, but they was just from my side of the world that was like, they love Janet Jackson for who Janet Jackson is, her brothers and all of this type of stuff. But they weren't the biggest Janet Jackson fans of like riding around in their cars playing the music. So, my mindset was like, how do I get Janet in that space? What can I do to get her her music into a space where I hadn't seen it in a long time? Like, that's the way Love Goes, I think, was the last time I saw that element of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She got a piece of it with All For You, right? Like, it wasn't as big as That's The Way Love Goes, but it was like, remember? Remember you loved me? Like, hell yeah, I remember I loved you. But you're yeah, saying... Yeah. Like I said, even all, I mean, all of them, I don't think that, you know, um, like again, and all of these songs, they so amazing records. Yeah. It's not like they're not amazing records. I just have a theory about myself. It's just like, if, you know, when, when she and I first started dating, she asked me to work on her album and I wouldn't do it because I was scared that I didn't know what to do for artists like Janet Jackson. And she was basically like, well, why? You doing Mariah, you doing Usher, how the fuck am I different? And that's a hard conversation <laughs> to have with your girlfriend, but it's like, um, you know, it's a, it's that's just the mental space that I was in at first. Well, so you saying that dating her made it trickier for you to basically A&R her, right, to be an executive, more than just a producer, because I, I don't know what, you... you just to see where these records would go in the world is com is complicated because I actually love this person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it was, it was, I mean, I could watch it from afar and, and, and 
you know, I would suggest things that I think she should do or this, that, and the third. Like, I think the album before 20YO, the video that I'm in, Kanye did the song. Um, um, like, her having Dave Myers as the director, that was my suggestion. Okay. Um, because I was using Dave Myers, I had just used him on Jagged Edge with a party at. And Dave Myers basically, you know, all the Bow Wow early videos, Dave Myers was the guy that I was using for all of these videos. So I thought that Dave was like the next guy and I was like, you should use him. And But I also told her to use him because I didn't think he was hype level yet. I didn't think he was Paul Hunter. I just thought he was a great guy that would bring Janet's videos down to earth, right? Not keep it colossal. Oh, she had epic, colossal videos, but yeah, yeah. Is, is a time for that and a time for be more relatable. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So I said I did I said I didn't care. I wanted to focus on the music. I do want to let me, if I could just ask you one thing, because Janet, I mean, when we were growing up, Janet was that girl that like all the young guys were like, yo, she's the most beautiful teenager, early 20, whatever, whatever, superstar from very young. So, you know, I know you have all this ego, you've had all this success, but Janet is still like, God damn, she's like, you know, black music royalty and shit. So when you're like, in your mind, you're like, yo, let me see if I can ask her out, like turn it from like a friendship to like something else. Like, are you, are you nervous? Like, how are you even approaching that moment with like this, this, you know, black music queen. And you're like, can I, can I, are you, are, you know, is it like a thing? Or are you just like, nah, I, I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm Jermaine Dupree. I can do anything. Nah, I actually, what I, what I did was basically the same thing. I heard that she liked to frequent jumping out of her zone and going into this zone. And once I hear that, if I hear like, like you, if I, me and I don't hang out with you, you've interviewed me before, but if I, I, if I heard somebody say, yo, Torrey, he like, he like going to Magic City, then automatically my antennas will go up and be like, oh, 
So me and this guy might have a little bit more in common than I actually believe. So then I will approach you at that point and use Magic City as our gateway to open the relationship for whatever else comes from that, right? And at the time, I had a stylist named Julie that was styling me in all of the videos that I was doing who also was Janet's stylist. So I would say a little slick shit to Julie, and then Julie would say it to Janet, right? And then I think something happened in L.A., and Julie told me to meet them at a, at a club. And I went to meet them. And when I got to the club, I'm like, oh, she fuck with this type of shit. Like, I didn't know this was the type of vibe you was into. So at that point, I didn't have, from once I see that you're into a vibe, just like me and Mariah. Mariah Carey was married to Tommy Matola when I first started working with her. So I was scared as shit in the studio. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to look at her. I, I kept my head down making beats because the vibe just didn't feel like Anything that I had ever done before. I was making records in the daytime. I, I work at night. Um, we was working at the Hit Factory. You know, security everywhere at every door. It was a different vibe than I had ever been on. And she came in the studio with crystal bottles and, um, and, and just like hip-hop shit. And I was like, oh, just the Mariah Carey that, oh, okay. You're a different Mariah Carey than I thought. And once... She allowed me to see that. Then her and I became the best of buddies. And it was like two peas in a pod. Because at that point, I knew if she called me, we're going to be on some nigga shit. Like, we going to Disney World. It ain't going to be on no Mariah Carey shit. It's going to be on how I would go. Right? At the same time, I do respect who she is. And I respect everybody. But I also have, I am who I am. Right? So once I start realizing that, they all like this world that I actually come from and it's interesting to them. Then the conversation at that point is like any nervousness or anything. So Janet and I started talking, just like really having a conversation at that point, like, cause I was no longer scared to say anything to her. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is shit you on. Okay, cool. Bet. You know what I mean? So um, it's just that it really wasn't, you know, it probably would have been another way. If somebody had to sit there and like send a message on Instagram and trying to figure it out. But <laughs> I had an opportunity to actually see that she was cool in my space, right? Or in the space that I actually live in. And um that broke that broke the ice for me. You remind me of something that Andre Harrell said to me once that it's not about just asking a girl out, it's about seeing if you can get her to come into your world and creating your own world that she would want to come into and be a part of. And if you can create that, then they'll almost be like halfway coming to you because your world is so interesting. I want to be part of your shit rather than you just going, jumping out the window and be like, yo, can I take you out? Yeah. I mean, I think that's partially part of the biggest problems in relationships is that two people don't actually know each other, right? You, they, they actually meet, somewhere and they have dinner. Dinner doesn't dis dis di um, distinguish what this person is into. Dinner doesn't show what this girl is into, right? So if a girl say something to me, like nowadays, I'm like, yo, let's go to Magic City. Because I want to see, first of all, if she's cool to even go. 
That's right? your that's your normal first date kind of spot, Magic City. Huh? That's a normal first date for you, Nat Magic no, City. That, by the way, I'm not even thinking about a date. I'm just saying, just this is just me seeing where your energy is. Like, okay. let's go to Magic City. We having a they having a thing tonight at Magic City. So if a girl, you know, you got women out here to be like, I don't do the strip clubs. Da, 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 da. At that point, I'm like, oh, all right. So you and I would have a problem because I do strip clubs, right? I do. I might love this girl to death, but I do the strip clubs, right? So, um, you know, you just test the waters. And if she's like, she's ready to go. I've been to the strip club before with a girl. And when I get in there, she's like, let me see who you be dancing. Like, pick one of the girls. Don't act different because I'm here. And I, I'm like, oh, okay. She, all right. You want to see what's going on. By the way, this ain't my girl, so I'm not giving her a whole nothing back. I'm going to pick the girl that I would pick if she wasn't there so she'll see exactly what I like. People should do that because nine times out of ten, people marry the girls that they don't like. Mm. Same thing with the man. The mm. man marry, uh, or the women, the women marry a man that they don't like. They like a man that's da-da-da-da-da. Well, he wears sweats all the time. You want <laughs> you like a man that's well-dressed, handsome man. <laughs> We talked about a lot of um, of R and B, but you, as you said, you're a, you're a hip hop guy at the core. Jay Z's "Fallen" is one of your great records. It's one of the great records on American Gangster. Talk about making that record with him. What you were trying to go for there? Well, I went to the studio. This was the last song that was supposed to be done. Uh, I actually ended up helping on "Say Hello to the Bad Guy." That's my voice. Say hello. That's me. Basically saying hello. Uh, but uh, um, I I went to the studio and he basically was telling me he's finished with the record. And I kept saying, man, I got to get a song on your album. Like, you know, because I never pressed to do that. I never pressed artists to get on their albums. Um, but I always feel like, you know, me and Jay-Z's collaboration with Money and Thing was so big as mm -hmm. an imprint on hip hop that mm -hmm. people expect us to do more together. Right. So. I was pushing to get on this this American Gangster album, and I came to the studio and he showed me the scene. He showed me the scene where Frank White and the and the jacket with the coat, mm -hmm. the fur coat. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I kept hearing in my head was this thing. I, uh, 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 this and it's inevitable. And I and I I just kept hearing that melody, um, and I'm like. You know, I know a bunch of drug dealers and I've known their whole life's story. And and like you said, nobody stays hot forever. No drug dealer in the history of selling drugs has ever eluded the police. It's inevitable. It's mm -hmm. not going to happen. You can have a 10 year run, 20 year run, but it's going to happen. They're going to get you and they're going to put a stop to it. So. <clears throat> at that point, I start saying, you know what? And I listened to the records he had. I said, you got every song except for the way you as a drug dealer automatically knows this is going to end. Frank White knew it was going to end like that. Jay-Z knew it was going to end like that too. That's why he got out in real life, right? You know this is coming. You don't know when it's coming, but you know it's coming, right? And in American Gangster, when he burns the coat, he felt himself falling. Mm. And that's all I... And at that point, I kept, I start searching, trying to find samples that would say falling. And I was looking for stuff. And I'm like, 
I need something that says something about falling, falling down, falling, da da da. And I just kept searching for samples. And I came across that shit and I was like, oh, this is it. I knew I shouldn't have did that. You know what I'm saying? Because because the drug dealer knows. He knows he shouldn't have did it. And that's why that line is, I knew I shouldn't have did that. Because he knew he shouldn't have wore that coat. He had been low-key his whole time. The girl made him wear that coat. Mm. And every drug dealer, they know that. They know that moment when they shouldn't have done what they did. That, like, we, I talked about before... Your R&B has enough bop that you could take it to a club that hip-hop heads are like, yo, I'm fucking with that record, right? Everybody loved Usher, even on the hip-hop side. Everybody was fucking with Emancipation on the hip-hop side. Um, that record, Fallen, does the inverse. That is totally hip-hop, but there's a lot of melody and and sort of a, a lightness to it that 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 is that leavens the record. Right. So people who aren't hip hop heads could be like, yo, I, but I like the feel of that record. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I don't I don't know what I, I think. Like I said, I think I go into every record bringing these ingredients like that song. I knew that if I had sampled this. I should give a hook because of what I vividly saw. I wanted people to feel in 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 listening to that song that this was that point where Frank knew he had fucked up. And anybody that's listening to that song, going through something, you know, I know I shouldn't have did this. I know it's going to come back to hurt me. Like, you know these things. It's automatically there, right? And if you start talking like that to Jay-Z, it's like, that's the light bulb is on. So as soon as I started that hook, huh? Yeah, yeah, you had the, the the Rain Man experience where you're playing the beat and he's just thinking of it and mumbling to himself and then the beat comes out with no pen. Once I wrote the hook and I told him what the hook was going to be, he just went into, oh. And by the way, it's so clear. It's, it's pretty easy. If you've done that, if that's your life, that part of the story is not really hard. Yeah. No, but he's 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 an incredible, incredible vocalist. Um for a long, and, and as a New Yorker, it pained me to admit it, but Atlanta took the crown and was the center of hip-hop for a long time. Is Atlanta still the center of hip-hop? I don't know. You just made that statement. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think it is anymore. I don't think it has the... There's there's definitely some very hot, important artists and producers in Atlanta but I don't think it's mm-hmm. the volume of people that it was that made it the number one place in hip hop. Oh yeah. Not a, the, the, the talent pool is definitely down, you know, the creative level and the, the, the putting new artists out that become superstars has slowed down tremendously. You know, a T.I. would come out of Atlanta and become a superstar. Yeah. A Ludacris would come out of and become a superstar. Outcast. Uh, Outcast Atlanta and become superstars. Um, Jeezy, you know, it, the list goes on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, Future's had a long run. Yeah. And the, the last one that I see that, that we've had that's in that space is Lil Baby and 21 Savage. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, we haven't seen multiples of what you're talking about. So, yeah, the talent pool is down. Um, but can I think you, it's, 
Can you explain why the talent pool has shrunk some? Um, I just think because the labels, the labels are, the labels are not listening anymore. Mm. The labels are signing whatever they feel like is TikTok and whatever they feel like is is already getting numbers. So, so if you got a guy that's over there that's putting together artists and might be outcast, say they might be in there cooking up outcasts. They won't get a look unless they have numbers right now, right? So it's it's a harder it's a harder game than it was back then because the labels didn't have they didn't have a, a thing that they was paying attention to prior to meeting an artist. So if it's not Atlanta, what city is the center of hip hop now? It feels like Memphis to me. Really? Yeah, because what Yo Gotti's doing. What Glorilla, he brought Glorilla out. Um, it's these new girls that, that, um, um, one of the hit, hit kid, I think is the producer that the girl Gloss Up came from that she just signed to QC. It's a lot of girls too, by the way, but, but you got, you got Yo Gotti, you got Moneybag Yo, you got, uh, Glorilla. Um, you know, they got a roster that they actually are building, uh, in, in Memphis that, that, for street rap music is actually taking the place of what Atlanta was doing. Do you think in music? Do I think? Do you think in music? Like somebody told me they were talking to Prince and he was like, he stopped paying attention to the conversation because he heard a hook or a chorus or a melody oh, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you you think that's in music. That's, that's what I just told you about the Jay-Z song. While I'm watching, they were showing me, you know, the, the movie, American Gangster. And when I got to that scene of the coat scene, I stopped watching the movie, like really, and I started hearing the song. And I started trying to figure out how I could make what I was watching come to life through my words. So yeah, I, I, listen, in, I listen in music a lot of times. I mean, are you, do you, are you like driving down the street and suddenly you like something starts to formulate. You hear, you know, uh, somebody KRS one told me once that when, you know, like, the, like when you're in the highway and they have the bumps on the road that prevent you from like the wake up bumps and going on the others. And he's like, I go over those and I hear a beat and I start to think about a rhythm. And like, does the world like come at you like that? Like you, things happen, you hear a bird or whatever. And you're like, that's, that's a sound. That's a music. That's a melody. Yeah. I actually write. Um, my writing style is more like, um, have you seen the movie Usual Suspects? Of course. Okay, you remember Kaiser Soze was in the was in the uh, yeah. police station. Yeah, and he basically was telling. He basically created a story by looking at things. Right. right? That's 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 how I write. So on confessions, I got a writer's block. I was at Bayface Studio and I got a writer's block, and I was like, I'm gonna go home. And at the time I was staying, you know, me and Janet was together and I had my Lamborghini. So I had to drive all the way to P PCH in Burbank. I mean, in, in Malibu. But we was downtown, not downtown, but we was in Holly, Hollywood area. And I drove from, you know, Hollywood to PCH. And in my way to drive there, I took the music in the car so I could write. This was the thing. I was like, yo, I'm going to write the song. I just can't write right now. I need to get out. And when I got out, I got to the light at La Cienega and Beverly. I think that's what it is. Beverly and La Cienega. 
And I looked up and I saw the sign that said Beverly Center. And that's why the first line in that song, every time I was in L.A., I was with my ex-girlfriend. Every time you called, I told you, baby, I'm working. No, I was out doing my work. Oh, one thing about me getting work, I was hand in hand in the Beverly Center. Not. That's why that line is in that song. So you're just seeing the world. Because I, and- I thought if it was been something else, I would have probably said another name. But I saw the Beverly Center and I thought about Usher coming to L.A. and actually going to the Beverly Center and walking around with a girlfriend that he had in L.A. but the girl in Atlanta didn't know, mm. you know. And that's, that's so I saw this whole, I saw every piece of it. I was in L.A., so every time I was in L.A., that's the first parts of the line, you know, that's how it starts. So if I was in Atlanta, it might have been different. But the reason that song references all of those things is because I actually was in L.A., and I was sitting at the light looking at the Beverly Center. I imagine that you get more calls and requests, work with me, produce a record for me, blah, 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 than you could possibly accept. So I imagine you say no more than you say yes, just because there's only 24 hours in a day. Right? Nah, nah, because you know, it's, it's very interesting because like, like you are interviewing me now in the 30th year of So So Death. Right. And we're talking about this in an in-depth interview right now. The over the years, people don't even actually know. Like I said before earlier, you know, I I have to actually go on record and say this. You know, Prince and these guys never had to tell on an interview, I wrote Purple Rain. I wrote, <laughs> we knew that, right? But with me, <laughs> for some reason, people think that I just do music and they can't actually put their minds, wrap their minds around me writing you're, the you're, song. Just you're like, in the Songwriter like, Hall of Fame. Yeah, but you 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 didn't see all the bad press that I was getting from all of the people. Not bad press, but people saying, how the fuck is Jermaine Dupree going there before blah, 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 blah. And why? how is Jermaine Dupree behind Jay-Z? So then people started thinking about me from a lyrical standpoint. And I'm like, you, you guys are missing it. Like, it's not about rappers this is about who writes songs right and that's what i'm saying people were saying that because they didn't understand lyrically how much lyrics that i actually write like even that falling right you probably are the first person that i've ever talked to about that song because it's not one of jay-z's biggest records but and in that right now i'm sure people are going to sit there and hear me say this like what he wrote the hook of that song i didn't know that right because people don't they didn't. They weren't paying no attention to it. So, so you're saying you don't get that many calls because I mean the industry. Nah. The industry knows everybody. Everybody, but but they do know, but they don't know. They don't know the process of it. That's what it is. They don't know the process of it. So I get more calls for producing than I do for people saying write a song. I think they want to. They want to pray to God something happens and asking me to produce the song as opposed to them actually knowing, right? So take, for instance, the Ari Lennox record, Pressure, right? This was her first number one record. And um, I don't think they knew what they was going to get when they got the song. So like they, and they actually didn't know what they was going to do. So, so uh, well, let me do it this way. You're working with Currency now, right? Yes. Great rapper, has made a lot of great records that I've loved, never blew up to the level of some of the people we've talked about, right? But the talent 
and the personality and the pen is there, the voice is there, but he has, so let's say, let's call him a middle-class right, art, recording artist, right? He's, he's, not, he's not underground, but yeah. he's never been a super superstar, right? If, if a middle-class artist like that, singer or rapper, wants you to produce for them, what is the process? What does that take? Wh- why would you say yes to MCX and say no to rapper Y? Um, it's really it's really based on where they want to go as an artist. You know what I mean? And 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 uh, I mean, well, the currency thing started because currency made a song called Jermaine Dupree, and I just felt like, you know, like I'm still blown away by that. Like you only got to name the song after me, but the fact that you did that, I never saw that. I never forecasted anybody doing something that special for me. Right? That's a special. That's a that's a that's beyond giving flowers. That's 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 like that's doing something that you don't even actually see every day. Like to to name a song after a person that you don't actually even know. He didn't even know me, right? It's not like I was his homeboy. He was just influenced by me and what he saw I did impacted his life. That was almost the first time that I actually felt like I actually did something because I'm like, damn, this guy, I must have really impacted his life. And it only take one for it to really touch me. Right? I don't need a million people to do it. It's just one person. Because I know if one person felt this way, of course it's a couple of others out there. But that one person struck a chord with me and I was just like, you know what? The least I could do, the least I could do is go in the studio with you and come out with some music that would be amazing. So he 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 strokes you. And, and the question isn't really about currency in particular. If I was a rapper... Or a singer, and like, yo, let's can we get a track from Jermaine Dupree? Like, what do we have to do to get Jermaine Dupree on this album? Like, what 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 do I have to do to get you to do one other, one record with me? You just gotta be, you just gotta be that energy. You just gotta be that energy that that basically equals. Y'all didn't know the Brats heard the Brats. Y'all didn't know Bow Wow before you heard Bow Wow. Nobody knew Criss Cross before that. Nobody heard Jagged Edge. Nobody heard Escape. I'm always the guy that will go on the edge of the earth for some new artists. So I don't have a problem working with nobody new, but the artists have to have, they have to want it inside just as much as me. You can't come to Jermaine Dupree and just let me do all the work. You have to have this burning thing in you that I can see or I can smell it or I can just whatever. When I talk to you, I can tell that if I give you a record, you're going to take this shit and go, to the moon with it, right? And that's the thing I thought about Ari. I felt like with Ari Lennox, I'm like, okay, she people love her. They like her voice. They did it. She ain't never really had a record that really like, you know, she had cool songs, but she's never had a song that like pushed through that thing. And I was just like, okay, I, you know, I'll work with her. Um, I don't know if I could give her that song, but I'm gonna try. And I went to the studio, got this. She said, let me play you something that I've been working on. And I started hearing samples and I was like, oh, wait a minute. You, you want that type of shit? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I didn't think that's what you was on. I came over here with my mental space and, you know, chord structures and all of this other thing. I was thinking about a ballad for you with it. And she played me some records that had some samples and I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I see what you want. I'm going to go into this bag 
of these samples and see what we could do. So then I started thinking about same thing with the Jay-Z. I said, you know, we're in the, this was like mid-pandemic. So she and I both had masks on. I didn't even see her smile when I was in the studio, right? And then I, we could, I couldn't even see her facial expressions. We in the studio with mask on and uh, I'm making the record and I try and I tell her on Instagram, I say, you know what? We need to make a record called Pressure or something because these girls that's on Instagram, that's all I keep seeing them say. Like they post a picture of themselves and they say, this, this, that pressure, this, that pressure. So I threw that in the air and then I start trying to find a sample. Same thing with the Jay-Z. I try to find a sample. And I found a sample that said, uh, yes, sir. It didn't say pressure. At the time when I found it, I was like, I'm thinking about this and I find a sample. And then and I played, I chopped, so I put the headphones on. Cause it's like this is my first time meeting her. So I don't know her really. So we a vibe is really weird. Plus, we got on masks. So I put my headphones on and she's sitting there, they watching TV, and I'm in there chopping the beat up. Brian Cox is there waiting to see what I'm gonna do. Jante's waiting to see what I'm gonna do. I chop the beat up and I pull it up and I say, we should make a song called Pressure, and we should do it like um, um camera and oh boy. So you say you say a line and then let the sample answer you. You say a line, let the sample answer you. So I told this to everybody in the room, and I started playing the beat, and you can hear it. Boom, 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 boom. Pressure. Boom, 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 boom. Tip, pressure. So then it was like, you say what you got to say right here, and then the pressure will come. And that's pretty much how it happened. And it was once again the same thing. The confidence. I could go to Greg Street. I could go to the strip club. I could go where I wanted to go. And be like, yo, hear this new record that I did for Ari Lennox. And people look at it like, Ari Lennox? <laughs> we don't play that in the strip club. <laughs> You're going to play it tonight. You know what I mean? Like, I, as long as that confidence level is there, I'll break your record. Do, do you have a favorite record of your own? One that, for whatever reason, you are more proud of than, than all your other children? Welcome to Atlanta. Because... um. I set out to do something that I thought was probably the craziest thought that ever come to, that's ever come to my mind at the time. Um, and it basically, and you have to wait 20 years to see if your thought actually comes to fruition, right? That's another thing about that song. So that's why I say that song. Because at the time when I made Welcome to Atlanta, I kept looking at how successful the city was becoming, how popular the city was becoming. And I was like, you know, what's crazy is that New York, they got the Frank Sinatra song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, by the way, this is before Jay-Z and, and Alicia Keys made New York. Right. So y'all didn't even have that song yet. Y'all just had Frank Sinatra and y'all had a couple of other records with not no real rap records that had set in that space like that. Uh, uh, and then L.A., uh, um, they had the Tommy Lee Jones record. I think like L.A. We love it. That song that they played the Lakers game. I don't. I'm, I I, I might have messed up the artist, but yeah. yeah. Um, um. So L.A. and New York both had these songs that have been playing for twenty years that represent each one of these coasts. Right? You go to the Lakers game, you hear this song. L.A., we love it. That's good. You go to New York, you go to a Yankees game, you hear, 
And the, the, you, uh, Frank Sinatra <laughs> all day long, right? So I was like, man, if Atlanta wants to be one of those cities, they got to have a theme song. And I mean, at this time, this just my wild idea. And I'm like, I'm going to make a theme song for Atlanta. And they're going to play that shit for the next 10 to 20 years. And I was saying this, but like I said, you don't know that that's going to happen until you get to the time to see it. And, you know, since creating that song, the Braves won the World Series. You heard Welcome to Atlanta. Um, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. You heard Welcome to Atlanta. Um, 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 the lady ran for governor. She had me and Ludacris perform on the... Stacey Abrams, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? You, everything that became synonymous with this city becoming what it has become, that song stuck into that space that I wanted it to be, and it became that song. If you hear Welcome to Atlanta, when you go to the airport in Atlanta, everything says Welcome to Atlanta. You know what I mean? Everything. Not And, and by the way, <laughs> that's partially where I heard it when I was on the plane. When you land in Atlanta and you're on Delta, that's what the girl says. Welcome to Atlanta. She says that in every other city too, but, you know, that's that's where it came from. And I'm just like, you know what? I need to welcome everybody to the city. And I thought the song was going to be, you know, just an Atlanta song. Honestly, I didn't think it was going to turn into the song that, that I wanted it to. But that's the goal of art, really, to make something that lasts, right? To have, like, something that blows up for a couple months and then goes away, like, that's fine. But to have something that 20 years later people still want to listen to, that's really special. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, one other thing I was thinking about with you is that a lot of the big famous producers of your generation got into some kind of trouble, ended up in prison or this, that, and other. And you really never had any real significant problems out here, you know, and you out in the clubs and this and that. And like, you never yeah. really, you know, like, like, how did you do that? <laughs> It's like LeBron been out here all this time. He never really did anything really wrong. Like, how did you do that? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to, you know, I don't subscribe to all the dumbness. And it's like, it's just like the Fallen song. You know, it's inevitable for it to not happen, but you can prevent it. You know, you got to just make sure you don't, you shouldn't have did that. I know I shouldn't have did that. You, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't. And then I would say that dating Janet actually curved my mind and mental space about this even more because of how much more careful I had to be with her being my girlfriend. Um, the way I had to move and the way I had to learn to move and accept moving because she was such a bigger, a bigger iconic star. Um, and just that, you know, um, once you become a, a boss, a real boss, not just fake shit. And you are, in control of every other people's lives. And you can look into an office building and see 20, 30 people walking around that building because of you. And you see, you hear people on the radio singing because of you. And you see people doing shows because of you. Um, you're supposed to have that conversation with yourself that fucking up is not even in the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, you can stay dormant and don't do anything. But to fuck all of this up doesn't, doesn't, do just just hurt you. It hurts all of these people that you see. Um, 
it hurts all of these people that you hear. It hurts a lot of things. And 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 why work this hard to do that? You know, it take you 20 years to build a career like this. It take five minutes for me to tear this shit down. Yep. So you feel the responsibility of all the folks who work with you, of all the history you've created, family, your parents, kids, whatever. To, like you, you feel the responsibility of all that. Like, yo, I got to I got to avoid the things that I know I shouldn't do and stay on the straight and narrow because because it, it's a long way to fall. Yeah, because I mean, you know, especially because we come from Atlanta and it wouldn't happen for these people if they were, you know, if I wasn't out here beating the ground the way I was beating the ground when I was younger, um, they weren't doing it. You know, like I said, I, 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 I'm a, I'm a judge of what I see, right? If I see you doing something, I understand how much more work I have to do based on your energy, right? And with that being said, a lot of the artists that I signed, if I wasn't interested they probably would have never turned into what they turned in if I wasn't beating the streets. So once I start doing all of that and I start taking these artists to levels and heights that they probably wasn't even thinking about, yeah, 100% is my responsibility to not fuck it up. Wow, that's really important. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? <laughs> nah, just be prepared for this. I, while we was on the break, I start seeing... My engineer, Jason Joshua, he starts sending me mixes from this um, JD Currency album. So the album is coming out. It's a Jermaine Dupree Currency record. Um, it's a collective record together, and it's called For Motivational Use Only. And so that's exactly what it's for. So you're rapping on it as much as you're producing it? Not as much, no. I rap on the record, but I'm producing. I produce the entire record. Um, but... I rap on the record, but I don't rap as much as I'm producing it. And it's a three-part series, by the way. We're gonna do it's a three, it's three EPs. Okay. See, I wanna see but that. Only get the first one. I wanna see that more of especially rappers get with one great producer and the two of y'all make the whole record together so that there's a cohesion to it. You know, you know, an album is a sonic sort of document, right? And it like, it the songs interrelate. You can play it from beginning to end. Like we talk about what's going on or, you know, uh, Parliament, the, the real albums, there's a sense to it. Right now, in the last 20 years, what we get is I made a record with this one. I made a record with this one, that one. The songs don't have a cohesion to them because I made them at different times, different places with different people. And I want to see like someone like you or whoever, great yeah. producer, just one great producer, one great artist. We made a whole album together so we can see, okay, here's the valley, here's the peak, here's the club song, here's the car song, whatever. whatever. Right? So we get, right? What, what, what's, what, can we get more albums? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, by the way, that's what you're about to get with this, this being currency. Like, this, like I said, this is the first version. This is the first volume of three. Um, we're going to do three volumes of this. We're giving y'all an EP in March. And uh, we're going to come out with volume two and volume three that I probably will rap more on once I see people's reaction to this. Okay. All right. I I can't wait for it. I want to talk to Currency. I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time because he's a great MC. So if you could put in a word with my with your brother, please let him know what's really good. I appreciate I, I appreciate your time. You know, you I mean you you know from this conversation, I always liked your music. I was always fucking okay, with you. 
So you know what yeah. it is. You know what it no is. No doubt. Okay, all right. We don't want any more rumor mill. You hear? I said something. You come to me. Listen, I. I, By the way, I. I go off of honesty. I go off like true honesty. You know what I mean? And I and I like like it's almost the same thing we talk about the verses, right? I tell people this about when people be talking about me and Puff doing verses. The thing that people don't take into consideration is that New York. I'm an underdog because. The new New York mentality and people there they heard more bad sure. than they ever heard so so deaf. They heard the next so so deaf. It doesn't, it wasn't a thing like that. You heard it, but you didn't hear it the way that it, and that's Puff's home, and it's supposed to be like that. And it's the same way here, it's vice versa here. You done heard more so so deaf in Atlanta than you heard bad boy. You heard a lot of bad boy, but you heard more. So what what happens is people that are and you wasn't part of this, not saying that, but I'm just saying in the midst of that. Um, growing up in New York, it's not a J, Jermaine Dupree's presence wasn't that heavy. No matter how many records I made, it just wasn't. I wasn't there, and that's how the city moved. So when I heard that, when I think I heard what I thought I heard you say, I was like, "Damn!" It made me realize, like, wait a minute, he ain't paying no attention to me. To fucking we belong together. Oh my god! By the way, I take that energy. <laughs> I take that energy, and I go to work because I feel, feel like at that. I haven't done what I need to do. I need it's a lot more people I need to tap into. There's a lot more people that I need to touch musically if people feel like that. And that's a that's, by the way, that's not that's not saying I'm whack. That's just an honest opinion. I mean, just 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 for those who don't understand, at some I, I contended in this conversation and others, I wasn't into Mariah until Jermaine got with Mariah. Always into Jermaine's music and somehow it came to you as like Torre didn't like Jermaine until Mariah and 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 you was talking smack on the Elliot Wilson joint and I was like what is happening and I mean like, like, by, by the way we, we spoke you and yeah. I have spoken since then yes. I you know I mean it's all good I I when they asked me did I want to do this interview I said of course because I I I, I regard you as one of the one of the top uh journalists in in music interviewing people uh, we need more of you. We need more of you to do more interviews because there's a lot of people out here doing podcasts that don't know what the fuck they be talking about. Now, when, when it's when it's <laughs> you and Puff, I understand putting y'all together, but in a way, it's not really fair because you are much more of a musical producer. Like you said, you can play the keyboards, you can work the board. Respect to Puff, no shade. That's not the producer he is, right? He's standing behind the board telling folks like a little more of this, a little more of that. But it, I don't think he's thinking in chord structures. I don't think he's he's digging in the crates for samples. That's not the producer he is, right? He's not chopping up samples on a key on a on a sample machine. Like that's not who he is. So you guys aren't really equivalent. Yeah, but I mean it's a it's a like you talking about physical and mentally, by by the way, because I don't I'm not I I don't know what Puff is, you know, what actually is going through his mind. What I paid attention to from Puff doing what he does is that he doesn't give you the nod of yes until he hears it. It's kind of similar. He just is not the person doing it. So he has to go through this process of getting somebody else to do it. Remember, I told you when I started, that's what I that's how I started. Right. That infuriated me to make my own because I'm like, you don't get this. You don't get it. You don't hear what I'm saying. And I probably wasn't articulating it well enough 
to make them understand. But I also was telling them to sample. So I was, I take that back. I was articulating enough. They just didn't want to do what I was saying. So I'm saying in that mindset, I started from that space that Puff actually produces from. And if you mentally have it in your head, you have to think about it. You do have to think about it. You have to think about it. So a lot of that, people don't understand that. He, he probably thinks in music the same way that you asked me. He thinks in music, he just doesn't play it. But he thinks like, I need a record like this for this person. I need a record like this. Because I've heard him say that about with Biggie. Sure. He knew what type of records Biggie needed to transcend into the notorious B.I.G. that we know today. So, so okay, wait. When you map it out, we're going to come to the end of the verses. I need my knockout record that will destroy him and prove that I have won this battle. <laughs> what is your knockout record that ends the conversation? Puff him, you know, the record that he, he probably would use would be Benjamin's, right? right. That's his song. Right. It was his record, his actual song. Right. So you get to the end of the verses. Puffy's going to do all about the Benjamins. That's his big record. He's going to try to end the conversation with. What do you come back with? Since it's all about the Benjamins, I'm going to do money anything. Let's mm -hmm. just money it all the way out. If it's about the Benjamins, then it's about money being nothing. Right. Um, and I and I only say that because I feel like, you know, in the, in the growth of Jay-Z, um, younger people have, have, um, found out or found money in a thing or heard this and uh, the way Def Jam puts it out, they make it seem like that's a Jay-Z song, right? That's a Jermaine Dupri record featuring Jay-Z. And um, I think it's important for me to make sure people pay attention to that song because that's the first, I'm the first artist from the South to actually do a song with Jay-Z. Right. Um, that was, that meant something to the world. Yeah. Right. So I'm the person that actually took that, that step and that leap to connect these two cities in the first place, um, especially from that perspective on a, of, a, of a level of hip-hop that he is, um, and him doing something with a person from the South that people felt like hip-hop shouldn't come from. Um, I'm that bridge. I'm the person who actually started that connection. So I would definitely want to end with that to make sure people understand that. Thanks so much for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Chanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs> <laughs>